If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Romans chapter 11. And as you do that, can I just make one or two announcements? Uh, the, the first one is that uh, we're moving towards Christmas, and uh, we have our Christmas thing, theme, thing, uh, theme, which is the, the King is coming. And, uh, and as part of that, we've got our Christmas choir, and I believe they started rehearsing this last Tuesday. Uh, so I'm imagining you can still, I can't see, is he in here? No, I don't see him. Uh, but I can imagine you can still join the choir and come along. I heard there was quite a few along on Tuesday, so uh, do come and be part of that uh, because it really adds to our, our Christmas celebration. And we are going to have uh, the 18th of December again. I think we're going to probably have two uh, separate carol and readings concerts on that night, five and seven o'clock, a great opportunity to invite folks along to. We're also going to have a Chris Stingle, I think, the week before for our, our children and families. So great opportunities. And I, I, I really sense that this year, especially, that people are going to be more receptive and open to, to the gospel. I, I, I think there is an openness in, in our culture at this time and an opportunity at this time. It's certainly Christmas provides a great time to share the joy of the good news of Jesus Christ uh, as, as we recognize that. The, the second thing is we have um, a, a new pastor coming to join the team, and uh, his induction is going to be on the 20th of November in the evening at 6 o'clock. And again, invite you all to come along and be part of that uh, as Anthony comes and joins the team and uh, we're, we're really looking forward to that. He's already kind of interacting with us at a staff level and things, and, and it's just great. So uh, we're going to have the Baptist Union along and various other things on the 20th as we welcome Anthony to join our team. So let's turn to, to Romans. Uh, someone said to me this morning that uh, after last week's talk, it's the best argument they've heard for reading wrong ones forwards and not backwards. <laughs> So, so uh, okay. It's good. Uh, I like these kind of passive-aggressive <laughs> interactions you have <laughs> um, as a minister. Uh, but, but we're continuing our series looking at Romans backwards. And uh, as we've been doing that, we, last week we came to Romans chapter 9 through 11. And, uh, and, and I commented on the fact that Romans 9 through 11, these chapters are some of the most significant and influential in terms of the New Testament, but also some of the most challenging to interpret and, and understand. Essentially, Paul is trying to lay out uh, an understanding of the work of God and, and how God is working through his people. And, and he, he's doing that in terms of thinking about where we've been, dealing with where we are, and looking at where we're headed. And, and understanding the context in which he's making that declaration, helps us understand what's happening here in chapters 9 through 11. And as we know the context, it helps us interpret it. One of the things that Romans does, and again, I, I appreciate the point, you know, it's good to read Romans forwards as well. But, but one of the things of reading Romans backwards that does is it stops us reading Romans as this sort of theological tract that has been handed down from heaven with this disembodied theology that isn't related to a context or an issue. And, and Romans is not that, and I hope we've got that. The, the context, as we've seen between chapters 12 and 16, is bringing together two competing parties 
within the life of the church. The, the Jewish Christians had all been expelled in 49 CE, and they were now returning. Uh, the emperor had died, who had expelled them, Claudius, and Nero had just taken up the throne, and now they were returning. And, and the problem was the Gentile Christians had been running the church for five years. And, and Paul knew that as the Jewish Christians came back, they were going to say, okay, stand aside now. And the Gentiles were going to go, no, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not the way it's going to be. And, and he could see schism and division and fighting. And, and so he writes theologically to the people so that they have an understanding. And, and Romans 12 through 16 is all about how you work that out in relation to other Christians and how you relate that to the wider society. But, but the theology is actually to provide a foundation for the practical outworking of the relationships that Christians have to one another. And, and so, uh, you'll know if you've read Scott McKnight's book that this series is based on, he says, it's not about power or privilege, Romans, but about peace. And that, that concept of peace in the Bible is the idea of wholeness and healing. And, and that's the context in which this is delivered. In Romans 9 through 11, we began to look at how he explores the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and again, this is still a, a, a topic of hot debate and discussion. And essentially, the, the way that this went was that people began to formulate the idea that there were two covenants. Covenant simply means relationship. And, uh, and, uh, and so God had a relationship with the Jews, and then Jesus came, and that relationship ended, and a new relationship began with the church. And, and that's kind of the traditional way that that's been interpreted. So you have two covenants. A covenant that was with the Jews, that's the old covenant, and then you have a new covenant with the church, the new covenant. And your Bibles are actually entitled Old Testament, and that word testament is the Latin word for covenant, so it means old covenant and new covenant, okay? And uh, just so you know, God did not give those titles Old Covenant and New Covenant. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, actually, I want to suggest to you this morning, it's wrong, okay? That this concept is a wrong concept. And actually, the titles that we have written into our Bibles actually is a misappropriation of what Paul is saying here and what the Bible teaches. Why is it a misappropriation? Because it creates this dynamic between works and grace, and it's thought that the old covenant is all about works, and the new covenant's all about grace. And then it creates this notion that God has rejected the old covenant, and by extension, God has rejected the Jews, and now it's all about the church. And, and, and that, if you know anything of the history of Christianity, has led to anti-Semitism being rife within the history of the Christian church. And, 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 and Paul's declaration here, verse 1 of chapter 11 is, he says, has God rejected the Jews? Has God rejected the old covenant? And what does he say? No. 
Absolutely not. And, and, and so what he's saying is, if you end up with a theology that ends up with that kind of rejection, you've got it wrong. And you aren't understanding what I'm trying to teach, and you aren't understanding what God's purposes are in terms of history. What's the problem? Well, the problem is that you've created two covenants. You've created the old covenant and the new covenant. Now, good thing about Scottish Presbyterians, and I'll say some nice things about Scottish Presbyterians, is that, oh, by the way, that, that, that theology is, is called displacement theology. Or if you really want somebody, I don't know who sits around creating these words, but somebody created this word, called it super cessationism. I love that. So just if you're like a Christmas party, just drop that in there, okay? And uh, oh, that's super cessationism. And uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> where are we? <laughs> so, so Scottish Presbyterians, yeah, I was about to say something good about Scottish Presbyterians. So Scottish Presbyterians uh, understood, and, and it's one of the good things about Scotland, and, and you know, we can infirm in terms of our Christian heritage was, that the, the Scottish people understood that the Bible did not reject the Jews and, and, and that the history of anti-Semitism that had marked so much of Christianity was wrong and inappropriate. And, 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 and uh, they, they began to really revisit in their theology the, the Bible and what it taught in terms of the Jewish people. Did you know that all the missions put together to all the people of the earth and the Scots sent a lot of missionaries to Africa and to China and all sorts of places. But put them all together, there were still more missionaries sent to the Jews by the Scots than any other group on the planet. It's remarkable in terms of our history in the 19th century. And, uh, and, and, and the reason was that, that they understood that this, there had been a misappropriation of what Scripture taught in relation to the Jews. However... Some of them, and there was a guy called Edward Irving who uh, started ministry in Glasgow, in the Tron in Glasgow, actually, and ended up going to, to uh, London to, to preach there. He took this one step, I think, too far, okay? but some of you may have embraced this. But he actually said, no, I still believe that there are two covenants. There's an old covenant and a new covenant. But the problem with displacement theology is it suggests that the old covenant became invalid. And what he says is the old covenant never became invalid. God continues to have a relationship with the Jewish people, which is completely independent of the new covenant and the new relationship that God has with the church. So there are two relationships, a relationship with the church and a relationship with the Jews. This led to a thing called dispensationalism, forgive me for the, the, the big name, but uh, dispensationalism, and, um, and which, which basically taught that for a period, God's work will be through the church, but there will come a point when God will stop working through the church. The church will be raptured from this earth, and he will then return to the former covenant with the Jews, and he will work through the Jews again in a period of tribulation, and they will become his witnesses. That's called dispensationalism. It, it took its expression, firstly, uh, interestingly enough, not predominantly in the Church of Scotland, but in the Brethren movement. It kind of birthed the Brethren movement, this idea. So if you're Brethren, you've probably heard these ideas before. And Pentecostalism, and, uh, and, and is adhered to by an awful lot of Christians in terms. But again, 
I think it's wrong. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why I think it's wrong. It's based on the idea of two covenants. It's based on the idea that there is somehow an old covenant and a new covenant. This idea that God had two separate relationships that he was establishing. And I think that's a misreading of Romans 9 through 11. Again, you're perfectly free to disagree with me on this one, all right? I, I recognize that there are an awful lot of Christians who do disagree with me on this, but I, I want to give you why I believe this. Now, again, Scottish Presbyterians, two good things about Scottish Presbyterians, what a sermon. Um, the, the Scottish Presbyterians got this in a way that I don't think other people got this. Because they said this, they said, you know what? You think that there's a dividing line between the old covenant and the new covenant when Jesus comes. So they were saying, you think that the new covenant begins, the covenant of grace begins in Matthew chapter 1. And the Presbyterians said, no, you've got it completely wrong. The covenant of grace doesn't begin in Matthew chapter 1 with the coming of Jesus. The covenant of grace begins in Genesis chapter 3, straight after the fall. And, and they talk of the two covenants, but the two covenants, the first covenant occurs in Genesis 1 through 3. They call that the covenant of works. So Adam was under a covenant of works. And then all the rest of us are under a covenant of grace. So when we read about people like Abraham, and when we read about Isaac, and when we read about Isaiah and Hosea, when we read about these individuals, we see that they are not under a separate covenant that somehow has been displaced or removed or is waiting in a kind of pending basket to be reactivated at some point in the future. No, they're actually part of the same covenant that we're part of. There are not two covenants, but one covenant, a covenant that begins in Genesis 3. And so as you read Romans 9 through 11, you'll see what Paul is doing is he's trying to explain the process of that covenant, that relationship. And he talks about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau and Moses and Hosea and Isaiah and then Christ, the outworking of the one covenant. Christ is not a suspension of the covenant that went before. Christ is not a suspension of what we find in the Old Testament, and it's why we read the Old Testament and benefit from it. Rather, Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and actually enables us to understand what that relationship was about. A single covenant. And that covenant now works its way into the people of God which is expressed through the life of the church. Romans 9, Paul explains this, where he says we are all sons of Abraham. We're not sons of Abraham in terms of our genetics. We are sons of Abraham in terms of faith. And, and he goes on to say, all that calls itself Israel is not Israel. And he redefines the concept in Romans 9 of what Israel is. And again, I think some of your small groups looked at that on... Uh, Thursday or last week. Um, but, but then he goes on to explain, but you must be careful that you don't generate the idea that somehow God has now dismissed the Jews in the Old Testament and all that went before. And, and, and it's, it's very prophetic because within 
a hundred years of Paul writing this, that's the route that the church was going down. There was actually a guy, um, a man called Marcion, and he, he brought out a Bible which removed all of the Old Testament and all references to the Jews in the New Testament. And uh, he basically had like most of Luke and a wee bit of Acts and cut everything else out. And, uh, and that was in the second century. It was already happening by the second century, a terrible situation. And, and Paul, to explain this, he says, look, when you think about this, as Gentiles, what you have to do is think about yourself as a, a branch that has been grafted into an olive tree. Do, do you see what Paul's saying here? He's not saying God went off and dug another olive tree and set up the olive tree and then burnt the old one and cut it down and said, oh, we're finished with that one. Great, we'll look after the new olive tree. He's saying, no, don't you understand? There's not two covenants. There's not two olive trees. There's one olive tree, and you have been grafted into that. So your heritage is the heritage of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Hosea and Isaiah and Christ. And we share together in that joint heritage. And you Gentiles have to understand that you are indebted to the Jews. And as these Jewish Christians come back, you are indebted to them because you have been grafted into the one covenant that they have been part of. Now, does that make sense? <laughs> Hopefully that will bring you a little bit of clarity and give you a little more to, to talk about uh, uh, as you go through. So, so what is the basis of this new relationship? One, one of the reasons I, I, I am very resistant to dispensationalism and, uh, is because I often ask people, what difference did Christ make for the Jewish people? You know, what difference did he make? What difference did he make in terms of the, the, the journey of the covenants? And, and, and the problem is Jesus is reduced to a parenthesis rather than the center of the covenant. And, and Paul's theology is Jesus is the center of the covenant. And what Jesus does is he, he shows us what that covenant relationship that happens in the Old Testament is all about so that we understand it's outworking now in this new universal faith that seeks to embrace everyone through Christ based on, not works, based not on our, our genetics, but based on what? Grace, based on grace, based on the action of God. And, and, uh, and, and so he's saying, you know, the way that the Jews and the way that the Gentiles continue in terms of the purposes of God through the single covenant is through Christ. And not through our heritage, but through faith in Christ, which is an expression of God's grace towards us. It's, it's an amazing thought. And, 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 and he's saying, and he actually goes on to argue, and you Gentiles need to understand that the Jews are in the best position to understand this because they're the recipients of the covenants. So they actually should understand the most about grace and the concept of faith because it's found in the covenants. And again, if you look closely at the Old Testament, you will find a lot about grace and mercy. And actually, a God of love. People often think, oh, the Old Testament's all about a God of judgment. But it's not. It's about a God of grace. A God of grace who acts sovereignly despite people. See, this word grace, 
carries the idea, and, it, and it, it's a fundamental thought in terms of how we understand our relationship to God. Our relationship to God is not ultimately based on who we are or what we've done uh, or how good we are. People, people think, well, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. And you know what? You're right. <laughs> You're totally right. I'm not good enough to be baptized. You're right. You're not good enough to be baptized. But that's the point. <laughs> it's not based on you or your works. It's based on what God has done. I, I put it like this. You see, when you, you, this isn't going to happen, by the way, but it's for illustration purposes only, okay? Um, but you see, if you arrived at the pearly gates in heaven, and, and you met St. Peter there, and St. Peter said, why should I let you into heaven? The answer is not, well, I used to go to Sterling Baptist Church, and it was an okay church, you know, or, um, you know, I, I, I used to be a nice person, or, uh, you know, I, I, I once did this, or did that, or, you know, my parents were Christians, and I assume I'm a Christian and things. That's not the answer. The answer is, you shouldn't let me into heaven. You know, I have no right. I have no right to ask God of anything. All I deserve is judgment, in fact, for what I've done and the choices I've made. But because Christ died on the cross for me, I'm accepted. <laughs> yeah, it's worth saying hallelujah. <laughs> That's the essence of our faith. It's the essence of what Paul's trying to get to in terms of Romans. The basis of the covenant is not you. It is the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ in Jesus Christ. And therefore, you are acceptable to God, not because of what you do, but because of what he's done. And it's a sovereign act. And it's an act of grace. You know, the, the, and this is the wonder that Paul has, is that God has taken a whole bunch of undeserving people. And, and he, he, he saw it in his own life. You'll know that Paul in Corinthians talks about the way he killed Christians. He persecuted Christians. He hunted them down. He hated them. He was full of all of this. And yet God chose to work in his life and show him his grace. And he was like, wow. You know, God, God didn't act in the way that he should have acted towards me because of Christ. And he understood this, and he's trying to say to the Jews and the Gentiles, don't you get it? You're not here because of your intellect. You're not here because of your religious heritage. You're not here because you've run the church well or not. You're here because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he's done. And therefore, this is based on the grace of God that his work is now being worked out amongst us. He then goes on to talk about the plan of God in history. You see, he's saying the grace of God has worked. And, and, and people argue a little bit about what, what does this mean in terms of the grace of God? Does it mean that we are now recipients of... of um, it, does it mean that we're entirely passive and are just recipients of God's salvation? Does it mean that we somehow choose God's salvation and, and it's worked out? Or is Paul actually talking about the way that he's sovereignly chosen the church and the bringing together of Jew and Gentile in this new covenant to work his plan out in history? And, uh, and I think what Paul's saying is he's talking about conduits for the divine plan of salvation. What he's saying is, he's saying, 
God has now shown you grace, and, and you can have a choice to be part of what God is now doing in terms of history. You can now choose to be part of God's work. You can choose to be part of that grace that is being mediated through the church. Or you can choose to stand in opposition to it. Now, this is a scary thing. Uh, I uh, don't know if you've ever gone away with a group of people and uh, try to decide to go somewhere together. You know, and somebody wants to go shopping and somebody wants to climb a hill and somebody wants to sit and read a book. You ever had that? And you're like, oh man, it's like leading the church. And, uh, <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> Didn't say that. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, you, you and it's like, and, uh, and eventually, what you, well, maybe you don't end like, up like this, but what I end up is like, you know what, guys, I'm doing this. <laughs> if you want to come with me, <laughs> have a great time. <laughs> we, you can come with me. <laughs> but if not, feel free to do whatever you wish. And what Paul is describing in Romans 11 is God getting to this position. And I think he's getting to this position both with the Jews and the Gentiles. He's saying, this is the plan. This is where we're going. We're going in terms of grace. Now, here's the thing. You can come and be part of this amazing divine plan. This amazing thing that God is doing in the world. You can be part of this. Or you can stand in opposition to it. You can stay under your works-based stuff. Or you can stay with your arrogance and your boastfulness as Gentiles. But you know what? You will miss out on this. And then he puts a very scary warning. And this is a scary, scary thing that Paul says. And again, you know, people say, well, the Old Testament is full of judgment. And the New Testament is full of love. Well, actually, Romans 11 would suggest otherwise. Because I think this is some of the most scary verses in the Bible. Because what Paul says is he says, you know what? And if you choose to reject the plan that God has, and you choose to stand aside from that plan, God will go on without you, and you will be given over to hardness of heart. He talks about it as a kind of delusion. And you won't then be able to get back into the plan. You're going to mess out. So don't think that you can say, well, I'm going to you know, take a rain check on the plan for the next three years, and then I'll maybe return to it when I'm a bit older. What Paul is saying is he's saying, it's now, and you're either part of it, or what happens is God passes judgment, and you miss out on it. I remember when my um, uh, son was very young, uh, I would be going out somewhere, whatever, and I said to him, do you want to come with me? And he goes, no, I don't want to come with you. Go, you want to come? You sure you don't want to come? You know, we can get some ice cream and stuff. No, I don't want to come. Oh, okay, fair enough. And uh, so go out the house, get in the car, and then we'd appear at the living room window going, I want to come! <laughs> and bang it on in. It was, like, it was like a little ritual he did. It was like really weird. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and what Paul said is he's saying, Jews and Gentiles, don't you understand that you can miss out here? And, and, and the scary thing is, that you can miss out and God will give you over to a spirit of delusion. You know, one of the things, forgive me for mentioning this, but, but it just, it staggers belief, but it's Matt Hancock this week. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, here we have a health minister who imposed and helped implement policies. I mean, I... 
I was there when people were denied seeing loved ones as they died. I took funerals where loved ones couldn't be part of it. You know, man that was part of that. Man that certainly helped, whether you believe it was a necessity or not, but certainly a lot of the economic hardship as a consequence that's happening globally of some of the policies that were followed. And in the midst of that, you know, as we're working through that and doing that, he thinks that somehow it is acceptable to go and appear on a reality TV show and get paid, I don't know, 300 or 400,000 pounds for it or something like that. And somehow that's acceptable. Okay? And, and I sit there and I go, how in a million years can you get into a mindset that sees that as acceptable? And, 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 and the only thing I can say is, look, this is a delusion. You know, you are deluded and you're justifying a delusion to yourself. Maybe you can't deal with the reality. I don't know. But what Paul is talking about is something like that that happens with those who resist God's plan. They're given over to some kind of delusion that actually it's okay not to be part of what God is doing, not part of the new thing that God is doing. I mean, Paul, as he wrote to the Romans in, in the city of Rome, and there was only maybe a few hundred of them, he was saying, God is about to do an amazing thing, and you can be part of this amazing thing that he's going to do, or you can choose not to by holding on to the past, by holding on to your theologies, by holding on to your arrogance, but be warned, you will be given over to delusion and hardness of heart. And you will miss out on what God is wanting to do. And then he turns around and he says, but it is not hopeless. And, um, and he says, you know, and he says, don't get like Elijah, who, who kind of thinks, well, I'm the only one on the plan. <laughs> Nobody else is on plan. Nobody else is part of this. And, and he said Elijah was a little like that, and he thought he was the only one. Can we go to the next slide? And, um, and, and, and God had to reveal to Elijah, as he was feeling sorry for himself, he said, Elijah, you're not the only one. Uh, remember, Elijah opposed the prophets of Baal. Israel had given itself over to this idolatry and to worshiping foreign gods. And Elijah stood against them and actually defeated them. And at the point of defeat, he felt completely vanquished, strangely enough. And he went away and he said, God, it's hopeless. You know, it's, it's done. And God had to say to him, Elijah, you're not the only one. There are 7,000 who are part of the plan. <laughs> and you're just one amongst many who are going to do God's plan. And it may seem that everybody's deserting God's plan. It may seem that the church is failing. It may seem that God's will is being thwarted. But you need to know God raises up a remnant and God works his purposes through his grace because of what Christ has done. And God has a future for us as his people. And that's what he's inviting us to move into a new future that God has created for us. You know, as Paul said that to the church at Rome, I don't, I don't know what he was envisaging. Um, a couple hundred people, some of them had come back. There was all sorts of fraction amongst them and opinions. And yet Paul saw that God was working. You know, within, what, 250 years of Paul writing that, a city of a million, 200 people, over 20% of that city were Christian. Within 300 years of Paul writing this, that entire city declared a form of faith in Christ. A million people. Wow. God's plan. 
being worked out. And he has chosen his remnant to work out that purpose. The choices were either part of what God is doing in that new covenant and in that expression of that covenant, or we are resisting what God is doing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the teaching of Romans. We thank you for the incredible vision of Paul and for the way that he saw how your work, your work of grace had begun way back in Genesis and that that grace and mercy had been demonstrated through the lives of the patriarchs, throughout the Old Testament prophets, through, through the kings of Israel and Lord, through your coming into the world. Lord, I pray that we would have that same vision as we understand what that meant for the outworking of our relationship with one another, for the outworking of our relationship to the Jewish people, for the outworking of our relationship as the church. Lord, help us to understand how that's to be worked out as well in relation to your plan. Help us to be part, to be that remnant that takes hold of that plan. And although there are so many challenges and so many things that appear difficult, Lord, help us realize that you are the God of our futures and that you are calling us to see the outworking of your grace and your mercy and your love and the outworking of your death in our world. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.